nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. The antidote to modern living. And this week, joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, we have... Um, Archduke Paul Ferdinand. Oh, make sure you don't get shot. My concern is that I am going out in a car later today. This might be the final nice things on those grounds. Oh, dear. European-wide desolation will follow. I'm terribly sorry, everybody. Is that one of those things, though, that is actually true? The old Archduke Franz Ferdinand thing. What what was the basis for which that it caused that sort of... um, you know, the domino effect which led to World War One. because wasn't it a Serbian nationalist who shot him? Is that right? Um, yeah, Gabriel Princip, his name was. All right. Um, he, he shot him, and then then there were trenches. Now, the bit in between, I am That's less clear bit. on. That's, That's the bit. That's the bit. I'm... Right, so nobody's clear on this. No, I don't think so, and I think anybody who claims they are is just lying, to be <laughs> honest. Mike, I don't think anybody knows what happened there. It's just, it all got silly. It all got silly, yes, and... Um... That's the thing you see, yeah. And then there was some band that was named after them, wasn't that? Wasn't oh, it? That I hate was... them. Yes, um, I hate that. Everyone hates them, you know. I've never met anybody who likes Franz Ferdinand at all. Uh, did, no. uh, now, did they do the "I Predict a Riot" song, or is that someone else? Oh, that's, it's, see, I get mixed up with them and Kaiser Chiefs. They're both World War One-based bands, aren't they? They, they are. The yeah, names. it's a strange. It's a strange thing to name your band after who who's not been taken up in World War One yet. So presumably, there's a, a General Sir Douglas Haig. Uh, waiting in the wings maybe they'll Absolutely. be like the spice girls I, I quite like that yes yes the 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 the, the donkey boys or something <laughs> like that because they were all donkeys as we know um <laughs> how do we get into this trench who knows um so um yes nice things world war not being a nice thing I'm, i think not can, one of the nicest no. we can both agree on that one at the we very can. least it's far too warm i don't like the warm you told no. me last week and i will hold you to this uh that it was going to be rainy from you said it was nearly christmas right so there's that all right, so, so there's far. that bit. There's yeah. that bit that you told me. Uh, and secondly, um, you said it was going to rain for the next three months. Right, it was meant to. Now, the thing I should point out here is I use the BBC weather app. Ah. And I think that's um, it, it's made by the BBC's fictional drama department. We've had a lady ringing in who says there's going to be a hurricane. Don't worry. <laughs> That's the sort of thing. So, no, the weather has disappointed, hasn't it? I mean, we did get a few days where it was gloom, and I enjoyed that. I, I was inside. I had the I had the Rupert Burr pants on. Lovely. Um, and I watched some nice telly. Lovely. And now it's just suddenly I'm thinking, oh, I've got to go out there and water the garden. I wasn't well, for, planning on doing that. For, for listeners and viewers who don't know this, so um, um, Archduke Franz Carmichael here, lives in the ancestral seat. The, the Carmichaels have uh, lived upon the island for at least 700 years. At least that, And yes. so it's got its own microclimate. It has, right. You have this your own got, micro... It's the strangest thing. It does have its own microclimate. So, I mean, it, the other thing that I should say is that... Um, the, this was my attempt at the good life, sort of like, let's let's leave the city and let's see what's out here. <laughs> and so I came to a village, uh, and it's the whitest place in the world, and it's also 1953 here. So if you were to yes. go to a village disco, it's it's like a witch burning to music. It's quite, quite something. Um, it's a strange little place. They have uh, a ceremony every year, 
um, led by the local druid. I'm not making this up. The local druid who leads a procession, um, and the procession is him, followed by me on the back of a horse, wearing uh, frills and, and something that looks vaguely historical. And then I get off the horse, I cut a piece of cloth in half, and then everyone gets a biscuit, and that's to do with the Holocaust. But I've wow. done this for 12 years now, Michael, and I don't know what's going on. I just, no, do I they just... give you a good slug of port, do they, when you're no, starting they... off? No, non-alcoholic. Oh. It's, all, it's all non-alcoholics and vegans oh, on this. Good I God, know. man. So, so I do that. dry but... biscuit. Yeah, that sort of thing. Better than wet biscuit, one would have to say. Well, but, yes. Um, but yes, though, it does. It has a, a... I think it's the position. I mean, it, you've got the, the Welsh hills and you've got the Pennines and in the middle of it is this little village. And the weather here bears little relation to anywhere else. It's it's unusual. But it does mean that, mm. say, if I'm, if I'm travelling somewhere, just half an hour on the train, I've got no way of knowing what I should wear. The amount of times I've been caught out wearing one of my gay shirts and I'll travel across and suddenly I'm, I'm in the middle of a hailstorm. It does happen. But there we go. Amazing. Amazing. I always like the idea that you go underground and you pop back up in another century when you it, leave the village. It you does know. feel a bit like that. Um, have it's you ever strange. seen, and it's a very nice thing, have you ever seen Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense? Am I thinking of the right thing? No, I'll tell you what I'm thinking of. Sorry, I'm getting it mixed up with Black Carrion. Don't mind me. Not many people are uh, into the old <laughs> Hammer House Mystery. Of, and, uh, 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 but the Monster Club. Have you seen the Mo Monster Club? What's that? Okay, so you know the Amicus films, the Portmanteau oh, oh. horrors? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The last one they made in about 1980 um, was... It, it's, kind of, it's weird, isn't it? 1980, 1980s British film is very strange because it's generally all been sort of like somebody's gone and blagged their mate into giving them some money to make a film. Do you know it what I mean? It's always like lashed that. together, isn't it? Uh, things like uh, what's the Never Say Never Again, is it? The remade Thunderball, the James Bond thing. And um, Sean Connery. Right, anyway, so 80s British film, as you know, The Black Windmill, all those things, they're very, they're, they're quite cheap, aren't they? So uh, Amicus Films, you know Amicus Films, Tales yes. from the Crypt, Absolutely. Doctor Terrors, um, what's the, uh, what's the uh, Tom Baker one? Tom the Baker. Mutations. No, that's The Mutants. That's The Mutants. That's not a four-story one. Is it? No, no, it's not actually. No, it's not. Um, no, the thingy one with Tom where he's the painter and it yes. gets the, the acid on it. Um, ah. It's not Tales from the Crypt. It's another one that's based upon that guy's writing, uh, as is the Monster Club. Uh, Wyndham, isn't it? Something like that. Um, I love the fact that people tune in every single week to listen us, to us not quite remember things. No. On the Amnesia <laughs> Express. Yes. Um, from Beyond the Grave, it's called. Okay. Right, okay. With Tom. Okay, right. so um, everyone uh, potentially knows what I'm on about the 1974 one just before he became Doctor Who. He's got the beard. And he's got the painting of himself locked in the that's... safe so that he's safe. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and when he's out in the street thinking he's safe. Because mm -hmm. what he does is it's a bit like a Dorian Gray thing, isn't it? There's the sort of like he will paint someone. There's the art critic that lambastes his work and he paints him getting his hands chopped off. And he gets his hands chopped off. Christopher That's Lee right. is the, 
It's a horrific little moment, that, isn't it? Because the one thing that they did do extremely well, I found, was those moments of gore. And I'm always a little bit concerned watching them because they look quite realistic. And I think, have they just done it for real? Because it's... And they, they, they'll they show you it. I mean, it's not like they cut away at the last moment. You get to see hands coming off. No, he's off, like... He's like uh, Christopher Lee goes back. He's like, ah! Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, absolutely wonderful. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because with the Amicus, you've got Tom Baker in From Beyond the Grave, mm. and you've got John Pertwee, haven't you, in the 1971 that's the house where they keep bringing people to come and see the house, mm. uh, the house that dripped blood. Um, and he's the actor, isn't he, who gets the cape? He looks like he's in the third Doctor's outfit from 1970, mm. and he's taking the piss out of Christopher Lee. You, you need to brush up on your amicus, dear boy. Well, you know what it is? I need to actually watch films. I find films tiresome. I was saying this to somebody else earlier today. Films are too long. Yeah. And that's that's my general rule. That's, if, if a film was 50 minutes, but with two commercial breaks, I don't need the commercials. I just need the break bumpers. Okay? Yeah. I could cope with them. But if you sit me down and say, oh, here's a film. It's two and a half hours long. No. No, I'm not watching that. No, because you don't like that, do you? That's three episodes of Star Cops worth so no absolutely not well for me right so let me try and uh, wrap this nice thing up with what amicus mean to me and for that matter hammer all Mm. the horror films so they mean to me the horror double bill on a friday night which then means our cath coming home with like chips you know, on the bus from when she'd been out on the piss. So she and we'd out, we'd have the bread buttered like for ten to eleven on the Friday night. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the great thing was that you got one uh, horror. F- oh, it's a double bill, Michael. They get yeah. it. You got one horror <laughs> film, then you got another one. <laughs> but it's got that great Radio Times cover where it's split down the middle: the Ghoul and uh, the Frankenstein. Do you know that one? No, no. Oh, right. This is the BBC. This is your territory. So, no, you like. Right, no, hang on. Is this a BBC production? No, no. What they used to do on a Friday night was they used to do horror double bills, right? Right. And there would be two hammers or. When they first started off, they'd do a universal and a hammer, right? Right. Now, I'm not too fond of the universal ones, to be quite honest with you. Apart from Lon Chaney in uh, Phantom of the Opera, because I went to uh, Fact in Liverpool a couple of years back and saw there's a great band from Liverpool called The Lays and they did a prog live soundtrack to um, uh, The Phantom of the Opera and Lon Chaney did his own makeup which is chilling the makeup is it, it's stunning now now that is the film that I have seen is it 1932 I, I think I think it's earlier but I don't know I'm not an aficionado right. so I wouldn't okay. know I'll go with what you say it's around there certainly um and yeah, the makeup is absolutely stunning. When it comes to hammer horrors, I mean, I do, I, I do love a hammer horror. There's the exception when it comes to films. Um, there's a wonderful, my my absolute favourite um, is Peter Cushing starring in The Creeping Flesh. Oh yeah, where, beautiful. Where is it? He brings back. Is it a skull? And then someone drips drips water on it, and it it begins to grow back into this monster. Mm. But Cushing has, uh, because he's a scientist, of course it's Cushing, he's a scientist, so he's cut a finger <laughs> off it um, to see uh, if he can do experiments on this on this finger, and it's the one thing doesn't, that doesn't grow back. And at the end of it, there's a lovely shot as the camera is giving you this point of view of this monster going towards Cushing, and Cushing could scream. My God, that man did not hold back doing the old heightened acting. Um, and it, it 
cuts his, it rips his finger off. And the last shot is him in an asylum. Nobody will believe him about this monster. And he's got hold of the bars. And then you can see he's only mm. got three fingers, not four. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful little film, that one. Yeah, well, there's um, if you know, you don't really know the Amicus, which I will furnish mm. you with a full set so you can get into them. Uh, you yeah. know, I know. The, the great thing about the Amicus ones, the portmanteau ones, is that each little story is only 20 minutes, Paul, so you can watch one of them and then move on with your life, you know? Well, that's that's like a crossroads. It is, oh. my dear. So, oh, so there's, there's one called Asylum in which mm. um, Robert Powell... Um, turns up to become a... He's going for a job interview as the new doctor at an asylum in the countryside. And he's shown round by a complete... You talk about heightened acting. Jeez, oh man, Jeffrey Bailden in that as 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 the as the sort of caretaker as he comes across. Anyway, I won't spoil it. You'll have to watch it. Right. So, I mean, it starts off with Robert Powell in his, his um, Dayglow Orange MGB going across the countryside, you know, to the strains of Masogsky's pictures at an exhibition. Oh. It's, it's just, and actually, the font that we use for nice things is that font. Right. I, I won't tell wow. the boys and girls what it is, because they'll steal it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, and that uh, Charlotte Ramplin's telling a story in Asylum, right? And, uh, oh, yes. And, oh, yes. And then, um, and at the end of that, she's got the scars on her face, to, like you say, with the finger. But, I mean, oh, right. the finger thing was um, lampooned wonderfully in Carry On Screaming, wasn't it? Cause that it was. The, was. Uh, they grew odd job from the finger, so they took yes. the piss out of the... The, the creeping flesh thing. That's right, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, lovely stuff. And then um, a little lovely little link there. For the first time ever yesterday, I watched the Laurel and Hardy film. Um, Haunting uh, We Will Go. Yeah, uh, Chump at Oxford. Oh, interesting, with Peter Cushing in. Peter Cushing role. is suddenly there, and I, mm. I had no idea it was going to be Cushing, and it was that lovely moment of looking and going, oh, that looks a bit like Peter. Bloody hell, it's Peter Cushing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that is interesting, isn't it? Because the MGM uh, Laurel and Hardys, the the feature length ones, are pretty damn poor. Apart mm. from a chump at Oxford is is okay. I like that one, mm. but if you see some of the rest of them, I mean, the, the joy of them lies in the in the shorts, doesn't it? The Hal Roaches. Absolutely, yeah, they, it you know. really does. And again, it fits your criteria of being short. Absolutely. And even better, no dialogue to distract me. Just nice pictures. I can cope with that. Ah, now you're going back even further to the silence. Oh, yes. That's that's my ideal, you see. When it comes to films, television, I'm absolutely fine. Give me a three-hour-long live bullshit play from Studio 3 at Television Centre where some director has decided, oh, let's be Brechtian or something. I can cope with that. But the moment that you say, oh, do you want to watch a film? No. No, it's an interesting one that, and I don't know. I know you've explained this one to me before. It's, it's, it's. I'm, I'm not wishing to sort of launch into it because obviously the listeners don't know your entire um, manifesto when it comes to length. No. Well, um, no, I think for me it's just my my big thing, which I, we've probably talked about, is that these days television is thinks it's cinema. And that's that's my issue with it. Television thinks it's cinema, and everything has to be done on one camera. And let no television is there to be immediate. It's there to be a response. And if you're taking nine months to shoot six episodes of Doctor Who, it it can't be responsive. It needs to be, you know, it needs to be rehearse, record, done. Let's do the next one. Five days done. And, and I, I think that that, for me, is when television works. Theatre has its own identity. 
film has its own identity, and I think television now has, has lost its identity when it comes to... Well, the trouble with television was that it was more fun when it was finding its identity, wasn't it? Mm. You know what I mean? When there was no vocabulary, when there were no rules. Whereas now, it's like, you're making television, here are the rules. Whereas there weren't rules. Well, the, yeah, but the... the... Well, there were rules after a while. I mean, it's lovely, isn't it? You watch really old stuff and you can see the rules developing. So if you watch, for example, <coughs> excuse me, if you watch um, the Rudolf Cartier uh, 1984 or those two episodes of the Quatermass Experiment. Now, the Quatermass Experiment, it, it looks dreadful and the sets are terrible and and the cameras, my God, are up in Alexandra Palace. But they're they're giving it a shot, and you can see television being born in front mm. of you. And we get through to that period, 1992, and suddenly you go, that's what telly is. And it's around that point they go, ah, but what if it wasn't? What if it was cinema? Uh, no, cinema exists. You don't need to do that. Cinema's here already. It's so many things, though, and you've you've sort of, you've nailed a, a couple of them as we've gone through these episodes. <laughs> the mm. technology being the primary driving force behind it, isn't yeah. it? You know, yeah, as we were discussing with survivors last week, halfway through that, they managed to get, even though it was a bit shonky, they managed to get OB videotape. And That's that right, yeah. changes the whole patina. They say patina now. I don't know about you, but I was brought up to say patina. I'm not saying patina. That sounds oh, like good. some sort of Italian fresh bread sort of situation. I'm not Your having Mike's that. Mike's just gone loud again. Right, so there you right go. now, right, we need to work out what's going on. Is it when I get cross? Ah, ah right, is that what it is? You've got a but- simpatico mic. That's that's peculiar, isn't it? Because I wasn't shouting. It must just no. be when I my inner turmoil kicks off. It does We're going to fix that. We are we, fixing. That. Let's. I don't want to cork your juices here, though, because no. um, yeah. So the technology changes, doesn't it? Technology changes absolutely, but unfortunately, the methodology changes, and that yeah. for me that that's the thing when the methodology changes. But I doesn't it that's... always change with the, the the technology? I mean, one of the things that impresses me about when you speak about television is you'll go, oh, and then this camera came in, and ba 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 ba, and you then for me you're like, oh, so that's why that changed. Well, yeah, I mean, you can see it. The technology is is getting better. All the time. If you look at the sort of like 1953, when we've got these great big bloody things at Alexandra Palace, through to when you get what I think, whenever you see a, a TV camera with BBC TV colour on the side, those are EMI 2001 cameras, and they're beautiful things. And that's when we're getting that lovely 1970s quality, you know? Um, but then we start to piss around with it. And then or if we filter it, it'll look like it was made on film. Yeah. Well, yeah, make it on right. film. That's right. All right. Yeah. And here's one for you. The last season of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes was in mm. 14 9. What was that all about? It, was, it wasn't 16 9. There was a little. Do you remember there was a little experiment? Yes, there was. There was a strange little experiment, was there, that didn't last long at all. It was when widescreen was about to come in. And so you do get a couple of years now where you've got 14.9. Now, of mm. course, if you watch a, a good old 4.3 picture on uh, on, on a, an awful modern television, then you've got the black bars down the side. Yeah. If you watch something in that little strange 14.9 period, you've got them at the top and mm. at the side. Everything shrunk in. Yeah. But there's an example of, all right, the, the technology wasn't ready yet, but we're too excited. Let's play with it. Right, right. Don't, so, don't play with it. It, it. The only thing I saw it on 
was that last series of Holmes, mm. I think some Inspector Morse mm. uh, and a couple of other things. So it's, it seems to be something that ITV were playing around with, but then they were just about building their um, sort of massive uh, tank that that's just completely rolled over every other aspect of um, of British terrestrial television entertainment, hasn't it? Really, I mean, well, it, University yeah. Challenge is made by Granada, isn't it? I mean, Media City. Um, mm. I went up there when um, when Neil invited me to go to. He did Celebrity University Challenge, and I got mm. there, and and it was just like they're all under one roof, aren't they? Now the BBC and ITV. Well, they are, yeah, at uh, the MediaWorks Studios, and and I don't know what I think about that. I think, obviously, there's a part of me that thinks, okay, it's... No, no, I was about to lie to everybody then, Mike. I was about to say, obviously, it's a good thing things are being moved out of London. No, it's not. It's not good at all. No. It's wrong. Um, The worst thing that has ever happened in broadcasting is, of course, what happened at TV Centre. And it was bullshit. It was absolute bullshit. That whole idea of, well, the studios aren't fit for purpose. Cobblers. The studios needed a lick of paint. One of those studios was the only HD 3D studio. 3D live broadcast. Sorry, how's that not fit for purpose? I think that it, it's a difficult one to talk about without getting one's ass. Do you remember off. when we did the Bloomsbury Theatre the first time and mm. Danny Baker... Was yes. was in the green room and he gave that sort of encomium that that eulogy, wasn't it? He gave us all on TVC because he'd been there for the close down, hadn't he, the week before or something? He had, yeah, that's right. Um, and it, it's it's such a terrible thing. And of course, now you've got this strange situation where the BBC closed those, basically took those studios out, fair enough, and moved everything up to Media City. Now then, there's a bit of an old thing. Uh, amongst TV professionals. So I'm just going to close which, the window because the scrotes are getting a bit heated. Oh, you keep, I'll, I'll keep waffling then, dear. There's a bit of a thing uh, in TV, which is this idea that you are only as good as the first production. So whatever the first production was that went into your studio, you're always going to have that lingering, that sort of thing. So I think we can judge here the fact that uh, one of the, the first thing to go into the main studio at Media City was, I don't know if you remember this game show, it was called Don't Scur the Her. No, that, that didn't exist, Paul. You've just made it up. No, no, it existed. And and it starred a bald man, uh, who I can't remember who it was, uh, probably called Dom or something. They're always called Dom. Um, but you've got Dom and you've got a five-foot-tall robot her that was on a racetrack. And if you got a question wrong, the the her would get a bit startled and trundle along a bit. That was the first production. Now, if you compare that to when TV Centre opened with its massive performance first night, where they're, mm. where there's all the they're singing and dancing and they dance through the reception and they dance into the studio, beautiful. Don't scare the her. So, but awful. now you've got the, awful. But you've got the situation now, of course, where we've got oh, and we're going to talk about oh yeah, awful things. We're going to talk about one of those in a moment, aren't we? Oh yes. Anyway, but now that was dreadful. This... Anyway, go wasn't on. it? I knew you'd hate that. Um, but you've got this situation now where the BBC are up in Manchester and ITV are in TV Centre. Ah, here we go. This is crossing the streams. He doesn't it... like this. I don't like this. I'm... I don't want Good Morning now, Britain 
in TV. So now, that's in Studio 3, Mike. I, I worked in Studio 3, now, and now Susanna Reed is in there. And I don't like it. Blue Peter was in there last time I was in there. And suddenly it's frigging Good Morning Britain. Not happy. Not at all. And do you remember when we were kids and Markham mm. and Wise would bring things up about the ITV? And and it was kind of like, hee hee. And, and we liked yeah. that, didn't we? Yes, we, we did. We liked those little gags. Now, mm. that isn't at all a clumsy sieg into mm. where we're going next. Believe it or not, it now seems like it because I've pointed it out. But Paul, this week, um, I'm not even going to preface this. I'm just going to let you take the floor. Okay. So, um, earlier this week, there was a programme which shouldn't have been on ITV. <laughs> it shouldn't! It shouldn't! So, what happened was, um, recently, an episode of Morecambe and Wise was found. And apart from the very early The Morecambe and Wise shows, this was the only missing Morecambe and Wise show. And it's from October 1970. So it would originally have been made in on colour videotape, and now it only exists on black and white film, but that's fine. Um, and so you find something like that, that's like hen's teeth. That's lovely yeah. to find. And it's not shown on the BBC. You'd think straight away they go, Christ, we've got new Morecambe and Wise, put it out there. Or newish, oldish Morecambe and Wise, put it out there. Instead what happens is we end up with a documentary Um Morecambe and Wise, The Lost Tapes. Well, let's deal with the title first, shall we? Uh, the tape was wiped. Uh, it's not lost. It's probably had an episode of Triangle recorded over it, which I, yeah. I can't f- completely disapprove of. So there was a lost film. Um, so Morecambe and Wise, The Lost Film, it should have been, but Morecambe <laughs> and Wise, The Lost Tapes. What we then get is a programme all about the discovery of this lost tape. And you'd think that what they would do is they would just have a little introduction, get Joan Morecambe to say, oh, I remember when Eric used to do funny things. Here's Delighted to see Joan still with us. Absolutely lovely to see her. That really was the pleased. One, that was the one moment when I wasn't screaming a and word beginning with to see with how F. Gary's got Eric's eyes now. He really has, hasn't, hasn't he? he? It was just Isn't like... Isn't that amazing? Because Eric's got them... Um, you, you're, they're always hidden behind the glasses, aren't they? But he's got, like, I'm trying to do them now. He's got really... Yeah, the, the V-shaped eyebrows, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that to have, to see uh, to see Joan with uh, with Gary and Gail, is it Gail, the daughter, I think? Uh, yeah. uh, to, see, to see them talking about Eric, talking about Ernie, and they're about to sit down and watch this programme. Lovely. Yes. However, what we then have to have, because it is 2021, we're not allowed to just watch... A program. We have to sit there and watch Judge Rinder and some woman. I don't know who she was. Apparently, I should know who she was sat with him. So, Judge Rinder and a woman, uh, two blokes, don't know who they are, probably off Radio One, looked young. Uh, Bonnie Langford and Wayne Sleep and various other people. And we have to watch them no. watching the program. And then they say, This is a good bit. And then that bit happens. And I think, you don't know that. You've just been told to say this is a good bit. Then that bit happens. And then we cut back to them laughing. And I could... I. Eric used to do those lovely reactions where Eric would just look to camera. And they cut one of them out so that instead I could see that... I, I basically saw the joke. You got Eric starting to turn, cut to Judge Rinder, laughing and saying he's going to look at the camera. By the time it goes back to the lost tape, which isn't lost or a tape, by the time it goes back there, he's finished looking at the camera and he's looked back. Now, Dreadful. out of 
This this show is an hour long, from what I can work out. It's an hour long. Well, yet, it was more like 40 minutes with the adverts chart. Sorry, I, I meant the original, the original Morgan Oh, I'm Weiss sorry, thing. yes. It's an hour long. I think we got a total of about five minutes of footage of it. Yeah. And this was the first time that Morecambe and Wise ever used the curtains. And they, they were making a big thing about the fact that they'd used the curtains. So it, it did feel like if you were to watch it, it would be quite an important thing to watch in terms of the history of Morecambe and Wise and their development. 100%. So So let us bloody see it then. But we don't get to see that because, of course, it's in black and white. And people these days are dicks and can't watch black and white. They get confused. Oh, if it turned into a dog, I can't see colour. So what you then end up with is loads of other clips from from episodes of the Morecambe and Wise show, which I've got on that shelf through there. I know. What's the bloody point of that? Whilst Judge Rinder says, I remember watching this. No, you don't. You watched it on the preview (laughs) tape they gave you yesterday. They had couriered round to watch that and talk about it. It's that you remember it. Which you don't. I hate this bollocks thing of celebrities saying, oh, I remember. No, you don't remember it. Or passing judgment. I'll tell you the worst one, which really pissed me off. There was a program on Channel 5, which obviously that annoys me straight away, common. But you've got um, where they were discussing various programs, right? And they came to a section and it was all about, oh, awful television. Which to them means anything that's not made by someone called Dom that's been dreamt up by four knobheads in Dean Street. So what you've then got is they come onto the subject of live TV. Now then, I work for live TV, Mike, and I'm actually very proud of it. And everyone goes, who topless darts? Yeah, but you remember it, don't, don't you? And I wrote... I like topless darts, just for I like to- topless darts. I used to be able to yes. see it being recorded. It was quite yes. nice. And, 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 and Anne-Marie Foss on, on, on Foss. the weathering Norwegian... Yes, yes, and and yes. Rusty Goff, the bouncing weather midget on the yes, weekend. I liked it all, dear. I I loved it, and that was the best thing in the world. However, they decided that they'd talk about how awful it was on Channel Five. Imagine having the temerity to go on Channel Five and slag some other television off. It's ridiculous. And then they came to a section where they were talking about how awful it was, and they started playing clips from a show called Agony. And I wrote Agony, and then cut to this woman. Don't know who she is. Probably an athlete or something, because they can't do anything apart from run. So it must have been filmed in in winter. So she's got fuck all to do. She's going to talk about telly for a bit. Yeah. And she described it as being, imagine a cave in which there are the world's most sexist men. This is what you get. It's like, no, it was just me, this stuff. I wrote 186 <laughs> episodes of that. The world's most sexist men. I was so angry. So I was just sat there like, no. No, it was just, I was 22 and someone said, do you want to write some carry-on style filth with underwear showing? Oh, yes, please. I'd like to do that. Yes. yes. World's most sexist men in a cave. A cave. Well, Paul. I, I hate this sort of let's bollocks. Let's unpack all of that. First of all... That was a magnificent rant, and I would first of all like to pay tribute, and uh, and I know that our listeners and viewers will be delighted with that. That was magnificent. I enjoyed that. Let's take it back a few steps there. So, first of all, why wasn't it on the BBC? The BBC no longer cherish their uh, heritage. They're not interested in it. I'll get upset. Well, you know that. You know that. You know that. You know that. Mm. So they're not interested. Uh, there's your first one. Secondly, yeah. uh, strangely enough, you mentioned Media City and BBC and ITV being a kind of conjoined <sighs> twin these days. Yeah. 
Because what you've got there is a style of television, really, that Carolina Hearn invented with the royal family, which was filmed at Media City, wasn't oh, I it? Hate it was one of the... that. I know you hate it. It's common, isn't it, dear? It, yes, it it's is. It's common. I know. Oh, I know. Let's but eat but, but, a chocolate biscuit. Don't eat chocolate biscuits around me, Ricky Tomlinson. <laughs> Stick them up your ass. I don't want to see people eating clubs. I don't. I know. You want them clubbed. Yes, you do. But but what you've got there is they've they've taken the celebrity goggle box model, and they've applied it to archive TV. I and I know, I know, I hate it too. And ITV's um drama uh, documentary output is absolutely fucking gash. Did you see? Did you see the Bobby Ball tribute show? No. Should no. I watch it? No. 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 Can oh, all right. Put it this way: Can you afford a new television? No, and it's quite new, is it? it no. no. Then no, you can't watch it because right. you will smash the television up. Is it people talk is it athletes called Dom talking? It's I knobheads. don't remember this. It's knobheads, right, on it, who like aren't even old enough to remember it. I hate that. You know I what I mean? That. Who I are hate, just and nobody the... nobody younger than me has got a right to say anything about television ever because you were born post nineteen ninety two. It was already shit. It, the the, yeah. the the disease had set in. No, you can't you can't do it. It's like your comment about uh, sexist men in a cave and that you're viewing it completely through the prism of now. Mm. It's impossible to do that. You know, it's completely. absolutely impossible. Um, I was watching. I mentioned last week I'd started watching Monty Python's Flying Circus with uh, with my uh, two lads, um, and they're absolutely loving it. And they really are loving it, apart from one moment when um, uh, I think uh, the, the West Indian uh, cricket team walked into a room and interrupted a sketch. And it was, they're all just dressed in cricket whites, but John Cleese has blacked up very, very unconvincingly. Oh, there's, there's, there's worse than that, mate. There is. The, yeah. There's worse than Don't be silly, mother. People explode every day. Now, if you remember what Mother's <laughs> Friend was called, I uh, do there's, remember. There's far worse to come. You know, there is, um, there is, uh, but uh, and they were shocked, and they were like, "Ooh, like that." And said, "Right, okay, we're, we're talking about this one was shot fifty years ago. Things are different, and you do have to look at that." So live TV, people forget live TV. That was twenty. Well, God Almighty, nearly twenty-five years ago. I worked on live TV. I'm very old. What's but, wrong with it, right? What is wrong with it? Let's be honest, right? Okay, that's just like, you know, it's like if you, you've you never seen this, but the Coen Brothers film, The Big Lebowski, you know, uh, I know, I know, but you know. talking Welsh. I know, I know, but he says when someone gives him grief, he's just, he's, I love his reply, he's like, well, you know, well, that that's just, that's just kind of like your opinion, man. <laughs> and, I it, and, it's, and it's like that with all this shit on the telly it's mm. just like your opinion it's just editorial and I'm afraid that I'm afraid that nuance has been lost entirely within uh, the, the sort of um, the analysis of the arts, things aren't analysed like that. You know, no. it's like at the start when we were talking about World War One and, and things like that. Now, when you watch things like, oh, what a lovely war. Now, in 1969, when we saw that, now you and I are aware, and, and, and I don't think this was that uncommon, mate, to be quite honest with you. I don't think it was that uncommon that people were not aware of the entire um, uh, cultural revolution that had led to John Littlewood's uh, yeah. peace in 1969 and 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 
what it was built upon mm. you know and and we had that cultural awareness we had that awareness of exactly how art is used it's like t today you know uh oh yesterday i can't think what it is um I i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing his name right but omid jali um he mm. tweeted out this comedian in afghanistan that the taliban and it's on video and they've oh, yeah, abducted him it. and they took him away and executed him and he was still taking the piss out of their mustaches on the yeah. way to his execution now yeah that is what we are talking about the jeopardy was for artists in these regimes in the 20th century. You know, Brecht had to fuck off to the US to do things like Arturo mm -hmm. Ui because of the uh, Enabling Act in 1934, which meant they could just go and smash up theatres and imprison playwrights. Yeah. You know, so when one talks about how artists express themselves, you've got to know the entire journey. I mean, I know that, I know, <laughs> I know live TV was frothy and fluffy and light and all this other stuff, but at the same time, it was built upon an awful, um, an awful lot of other stuff that was flying around in your head. You know, there was a lot of Dada going on in there. There was a lot Ooh. of Brett. There was a lot of Spike Milligan. All these things were in there, and it wasn't just cool tits. No. Although, you know, I don't mind the old cool tits, dear. Ooh, no, but you, no. but you, you know what I mean? But it was like, it's hard to explain. It's like trying to explain Carol Cleveland's role within the Python shows. Well, I, yeah, because you, if you look at her now, the easiest thing to say is, well, that, that's uh, degrading to women. But she's absolutely in on the joke. And it was only if they needed a woman that wasn't Terry Jones in a dress. Carol can do that. If it had to be an And they held a woman. fucking mirror up to society. Absolutely. How can you do that now without being accused of being a bigot, a racist, a sexist? Da, 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 da. You it's can't. Like, oh, right. You can't. And I know, I mean, what we've got to be careful of here is that that we're not misunderstood as being people who go, well, I, I want to say the N-word, so I'm going to... No, it's not about that. It's about allowing art space to breathe. It's Quite about so. allowing it the opportunity to breathe and develop and play and fail. And that's been taken away. If you fail now, then you've got a problem. You've got that. And you've also got a, a minority of dickheads whose voice counts for some reason. And they scream about, I don't like the way this show's going on social media. Well, fine. You shout loud enough. Do you know what's going to happen? The BBC will see that and they'll go, oh, people don't like it. And they will cancel your show rather than you just going, it's having a bit of a crap period. Let's let it, let's let it come back. That's fine. No, they'll just cancel it because they don't want the publicity. So you've got to be careful when you're criticising things. Because if you criticise these days, criticism leads to cancellation. Simple as that. The BBC have brought a lot of this on themselves, though. Because, for example, they didn't even want the Mark and Wise lost tape. I guarantee they didn't want to broadcast that. Um, I don't but know what it is with not? the BBC. Why not? Is it because it's black and white? I don't know with the BBC. Do you know the last time, the last time they actually played a programme in black and white. And I'm open to be corrected. The last time that I think a programme in black and white went Wasn't out... Was it the Steptoes? On... When were they? Early 90s. I See, I think the last time we got one was when they showed Planet, ah, of, Planet the of the Daleks 3. Episode it? 3. Yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. was the last time we got anything in black and white. But then there's this thing, oh, people can't cope. Yes, they can. Don't treat people like dickheads, otherwise they will act like dickheads. If you say you can't cope with black and white, they'll go, no, we can't cope well, with black and white. But then there's an argument for you can't cope with hearing this word. There is, actually. There absolutely is. You know, um, so, and, so that's the thing when we talk about this, isn't it? Hmm. 
And 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 it's a problem now. How do we play with history? How do we show something? If I was to set something in 1970, do I have to do it with 21st century sensibilities? Because then well, what's the point? Well, you've got, haven't you? You've got this year zero mentality whereby everybody going right back through the past has to hold the same morals and the same opinions as you. Otherwise, they are obviously uh, Nazis and they must be cancelled. You know, mm. so you get these ridiculous things whereby they, uh, you get people apologising for jokes that they made thirty years ago and stuff like that. Now, are they going to give the money back that they earned from those jokes? I, I don't see Lee Francis doing that. You know, no. when Lee Francis was apologising from Bo Selector, and so he bloody should. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But <laughs> I would have actually liked to have seen him whipped naked through the streets of Aberdeen for that shit. But I'd, I'd pay for Britbox to watch that. Yes, um, but they're not giving the money back. No. So it's 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 kind of all superficial, isn't it? You know, and again, it's it's this kind of thing whereby there's a tragedy happens in the world, and then somebody does a, a tweet or whatever, some celebrity, and it's like, oh, this is horrible. But don't forget me. Hmm. Isn't Absolutely. It? Yeah, it is. It's that thing. I've got to stay relevant. Well, don't be shit at your job. Be good at your job and you will remain relevant. That's and all we used to have artists, didn't we, that would disappear for five fucking years to do something. Yes. And then emerge like looking 30 years older. <laughs> yes. Because they, they created this novel or this, this screenplay or this film or whatever it might be that... It's like, I've been out of the way for five years, I've done this in darkness, and I'm going to unleash it on you, and it's going to change the way you look at the world. And it's like, mm. wow. Yes. We ain't got those people now. We don't have that anymore. We don't have that opportunity for, for growth, I don't yeah. think, as, as yeah, yeah, artists. Yeah. Uh, now Nowadays, I think very much, we, it's, basically, it's got to be immediate. And the other problem, of course, is that there's less than there used to be. It's remarkable, isn't it? And that we've got something now in this country, like... Uh, Something like, I think it's 470 TV channels. Now, when when I when I was a lad, we had BBC One, BBC Two, and most people had ITV, but my mother wouldn't allow the <laughs> dial to turn to that. So we had the three. But every night, there was a drama, there was a sitcom, there was a documentary. Now, these days, when a new drama starts, oh, line of duty, line... Of, well, yeah, fine, but that should be one of just five dramas on that channel this week. It shouldn't be, they've made a drama. Of course they've frigging made a drama, it's television. But they take so long to make them, they don't do re they don't do rehearsal and straight into studio. Look at the O'Need in line, okay? Oh. You've got an episode, or, or anything, in fact, any drama which lasts 50 minutes, that would have been recorded in two hours start to finish they wouldn't have taken a month shooting it it would have been we're going to go down to cornwall and do it on film for a week for the whole 13 episodes and then you've got one week to do each one bang 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 out like that yeah. that's what it should be but these days because everything takes longer and it's all about oh we're using anamorphic lenses i don't give a shit i don't care no. film it on good old videotape big two inch videotape film it on the friday i want it on telly on monday do it done Minimal editing, minimal effects, theatre on tap. Just do it properly. But That's it's it's sort of it's, it's almost tonight. like <laughs> but the, the 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 television you're describing 
it's like bloody manual labour. You know, and you can imagine all these sort of old actors sitting around, bloody hell, you, you want to get a proper mm. job, you? Because the the work rate that they had, as we discussed last week with survivors, mm. and you talk about the Aneedin line, I mean, the those serials were like a lot of bloody work. And it was quick. It was quick. And, it, and not only a lot of work, a lot of words that you yes. had to get in your head. I mean, I know that <coughs> it's it's sort of become a bit of... It, well, it was when it was on. It was a bit of a joke. But Crossroads, when they were doing four we're a week... back to Crossroads, listeners. We are. We are back to Crossroads, yes. When they used to... They'd rehearse Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday into studio and they'd shoot two a day. They'd do morning. Now, they'd may just I run say it, here, yeah. what Paul Carmichael needs to do, and the world is waiting for this, by the way, is a 90-minute um, BBC4 film drama that's kind of a behind-the-scenes on it. Now, yes. we could focus around Ronnie and Sue, couldn't yes. we? we could. You know, we, we could focus around them. And I think I, by the way, would settle, to, I'd kick off my slingbacks, mm. I'd settle back, and I would watch that. I, I would watch it. You, you well, you better bastard write it, aren't you? I, I'll write it. I'm happy to write it. I'd love to write that. That would be magnificent. Right, well, I mean, we all want you to write it right. Well, I will try and scratch something out then. You know, Good. Ronald Allen. Those of you watching and listening at home, if you don't know Ronald Allen, oh, the man's magnificent. I Nobody watch- can... Oh, I watched Eat the, the Rich frame. last week, right, oh, because I think we should. But I watched Eat the Rich last week, and there he is. In his Dracula costume. Oh, it's How wonderful. How did he end up being adopted by them? Like, he was just like... They, do you know what? They just loved him because right. um, because he was this figure would. on television. You would. You know, what you've got there, I mean, he was known as the King of Soap, which, you know, he was like, he was the biggest male actor in terms of television that we had and he went from compact set in a women's magazine um which is all right actually to united which was about a a second division football club and he was the manager and then to crossroads so he did so ambassadors of death oh wonderful and lots of makeup in that i think that him and john pertu were out makeuping each other in that one they they may well have been i that was just to disguise the benson and hedges stains on his face uh you know there's a man you listen to his voice it's no surprise that he died of lung cancer who would who would you cast though as ronnie who would you cast who's nobody who's alive nobody Everybody's shit. There's nobody I would cast as that now. I could do it it as an animated thing. I've got the voice. Do you know that's partly where my voice comes from? Isn't that ridiculous? My voice comes from, uh, well, three different sources, right? First of all, the, the, the lack of accent comes from when I was very little and learning to speak. And I was like that with television, just staring at television. And I couldn't decide if I wanted to be in Doctor Who or in Blue Peter. And it was a big problem for me when I was about three. And then I went, oh, no, hang on. There's a man who's in all of them, and he looks like a spinning world. And he says, BBC One. And that's where my intonation comes right. from to this day. Um, the, um, so that, that's part of it. The, the depth comes from... Because uh, people say, oh, you've got a deep voice. And I always joke and say, it's just the fags. But it's not. I deliberately broke my voice. Uh, and it's partly because of Val Dunican's song, Walk Tall, that starts <laughs> with him going, Walk Tall. And to me, that oh, that was an impossible note. So I spent ages just forcing my voice down there. Right. 
And then I heard Ronnie Allen for the first time in an episode of Crosby. Oh, I want that voice. And so I just got it. Isn't that weird? I love Ronald Allen. The man's a You genius. do love Ronald Allen. I, I, genius. I, I would suggest that someone who would be good at playing Ronald Allen would be Rob Bryden. No. <laughs> I was no. expecting a more volcanic reaction than that. No. Right, okay. Well, let's examine it. One, he's Welsh. Ronnie Allen wasn't. So, no. How uh, about Hugh two... Grant? Well, why would you even think to suggest that? What's the connection? Floppy hair and I appear to have missed a wedding. I'll piss off. No, you no. need someone who is just a heavy smoker. Right. That's right. it, in fact. Someone who's a heavy smoker. And who's who heavy... Deliberate... Are there any left in the industry? No, you're not allowed to. Lawrence Fox. There you go. He could have a stab at him. No, he could. He's I'm got thinking... a very faggy voice, hasn't he? He smokes a lot. He's very faggy. Uh, he's got a very faggy voice, yes. Um, but no, because he looks like a tramp. And Ronald Allen was devastatingly handsome. There's nobody. You There's don't nobody. get that. You All right, it's going to have to be animated, look. Paul. It's going to have gonna to be, have be animated. animated. And I'll do the voice. That's absolutely fine with me. So, so. Uh, nice things this week. Uh, oh, we right, didn't okay. even get to me explaining <laughs> why um, the story in the Monster Club was like you living on uh, the island as why the last of the McCarmichaels. We, we shall look at that next week. Thanks oh, okay. to you, yes. right, and... and um, um, <laughs> Max Rosenberg and Milton Sabotsky, am I right? Oh, they were yes. the guys who did those Doctor Amicus the films. And yeah, Dalek's and, and the Dalek yeah. films. Your fault, this. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Muir's <laughs> Christmas <laughs> and Traditions, um, which is, is actually really good. And I found the interview with, with Mavis wonderful. It's wonderful I like Frank it? Muir an awful lot. I love Frank Muir. Uh, so- and this is delicious, by the way, this book. Oh, beautiful. Look at that. Well, for the viewers and listeners out there, I found on YouTube an edition of, uh, is it Good Afternoon or This Afternoon? Yeah. Something with like Mavis that. Nicholson, uh, a Thames TV production. Who, uh, let's be honest, Mavis Nicholson, who no bugger really remembers now, was another, um, you know, an, an, an amazing, she's still alive, thank God, um, but she was a, an amazing, yeah. hum, a, amazing TV personality. That, you know, the force of her own personality, she became, well, a national TV star. She absolutely did. And there's there's an interview which has been put up by, uh, and it's by put up by the official Thames archive, which is slowly being drip-fed onto YouTube. And it's Frank Muir being interviewed. Um, and we'll post a link on the Twitter feed. Look at that. Oh, this part nice. is, you know what, you can get this for like, Two pence delivered right. on eBay. It's it's just nothing, I'm right? Have so, to have a look. listeners, Christmas. Co- I'm, I'll just buy you one, Paul. I'll get. Oh, I'll okay. get you one. I'll get you one because they're just great. Okay. Um, I am actually glad you cost me a fortune. Well, you cost I me do. two I'm p. I'm so sorry. Um, um, but we'll put a link to the uh, to the interview with Frank Muir on the Twitter feed. We, we must say the Twitter feed. We never remember no. at Nice Things Show. Yes. So you can find that at Nice Things Show. And we post all sorts of things there. Have a look. So that's a very nice thing you've got there. Then that's lovely. It is, and you know he is. You know Frank Muir is one of those. We need to make sure that no one forgets Frank. Have to. Yes. Have to. How's the best way to do that? Repeat. What's my line? Repeat some oh, stuff. Stop and my filling, music. And my music. Stop filling the schedules with, oh, the bailiffs are coming. I don't give a shit. Let them That's in. Dom again. Care. 
That's Dom again. That's Dom. Is that another Dom? That's Dom. Yeah, on a Sunday morning when I used to sit there hungover, you'd have him and Melinda Messenger on Channel 5 doing Dom Does the Shit. And he'd be like, Oi, you saw this geezer a bathroom. It ain't right. It ain't right. It ain't right. Anyway, never mind him. Let's return to to the wonderful world of your namesake. I got this. You know that I talk a lot about the Morrison's free book table. Well, it's not free. You put coins in. It's for um, a local charity. Look Mm. at that little fella. Yeah, man. Hardback. Well, the real Ian Carmichael. And I've seen... I had a look at this on... uh, There he is on the back with Dennis Price uh, in Jeeves and Worcester. Um, World of Worcester. World of Worcester. Um, Mm. I've seen this on eBay. It's like 40 quid. Ridiculous. That's my middle name, you know. Indeed, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's why I thought I'd mention Anything from you, dear boy? Well, do you know what there was? Because uh, the worst thing for me about the whole sort of like, you know, lockdowns and all that crap were the fact that the charity shops were closed. So I am, whenever I can, just we've got we've got five because the average age of the population where I live is 94. So we've got an awful lot of charity shops with a high turnover of decent stuff. Which is nice. <laughs> now then, yes, so I am terrible, a but... sucker. For anything with a BBC logo on. Uh, so here's a BBC logo. BBC Records and Tapes and it comes. And what on earth could this record be that I'm holding up? This, mic. This is. BBC Records presents Sing Along with the Girl Guides. Sing Along with the Girl Guides. I trust Mr. Savile has nothing to do with this. I don't think. 1971, we are pre-Jim will fix it. But look at the illustration. It I, looks I will... like him, though. It does a bit, doesn't it? Now, yeah. I'll post a picture for those of you listening on the wireless. But it's terrifying, this front cover, um, of apparently a girl guide as envisaged what? in some sort of nightmare. But, that um, is like uh, Eric Gill has done, a, has done a sculpture of a girl guide for listeners. Yeah. It is absolutely hideous. It's terrifying, isn't it? And so, natu- now that I was quite excited, because this was a pound, I thought, but then I realised I'd seen two labels... The top one is the original, uh, and it says Girl Guides Association, one pound. Oh, and then nice. on, the, on the bottom, it's Cats Protection League, two pounds. So they Ooh. bumped it up by 100%. Now, that's, that's something I've literally just peeled off the back of the, of the, uh, of the uh, Frank Muir book. Mm. Barcodes. They don't belong in my world. They do not. No, stop belong. sticking them on nice things. At all. But anyway, so later this evening, once we've uh, concluded, I shall be listening to... Um, Oh, what am I listening to? Uh, Kookaburra sings in the old. Uh, I'm listening to that. Uh, I'm listening to um, oh something in French. The Lord's Prayer and Come by Our. I'm going to love this. Ginganguli. Ginganguli will. Be I trust on you've got a large sack of mind-bending drugs to enjoy that with. I think. Look at her. Look at her there. Look. Oh, if, if you. That is oh, definitely Eric Gill. Isn't that terrifying? Let's see. Does it say? Um, oh, sleeve design and paper sculpture. So that's a paper sculpture. I thought it was um, a sculpture. Yeah. Which is by Andrew Pruitt. Don't Ooh. know. 1971. So I found that. Yeah. And I thought, want. Yeah. And then, Mike, then I found I found this. Right. Now, this this I just had to. Look at this. Lovely big book, yes. Oh, lovely. Not a book, Mike. Ooh. It's it's the complete Joan Hickson Miss Marple ah. DVD set. Now, that for me, that's a nice thing because not even. Now, that was Christmas 1986, wasn't it? A pocket full of rye, that was the first one. A pocket full of rye, that's right. And for me, that is Sunday nights. Yes. 
before having to go to school. And I remember it's the music. I watched the first two That's it. It's lovely music. Beautiful. Who's that then? The music. Do you not know? Do you know off the top of my head? No, I have to. I was I was too busy enjoying it. I, I was enjoying the credits too much to read. Now Joan Ixon did a oh. lovely line in Dotty Old Women. She's in Carry On Girls as a Dotty Old Woman, and uh, she Clockwise, is. she's yes. fantastic in Clockwise, mate. She is. She, <laughs> is. Well, she promised me the clock when he went. Well, I know. And she's just off, isn't she? This sort yeah. of Alzheimer's woman. Oh, she's absolutely wonderful, wonderful in that. Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. wonderful. She's that. She's that old breed, and we and we don't have them anymore because they're not allowed. The eccentric older lady. Yes. When, when you had Joan Hicks and you had Beryl Reed, you had these people. And oh they my were God, Beryl Reed! mad. Beryl Reed. Why hasn't someone done an amazing documentary on Beryl Reed? I've said this to people I know who make amazing do- uh, documentaries on these old comedy figures. It's like, why have mm. you not done Beryl Reed? Why? I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm I'm genuinely confused as to why that hasn't happened. Um, but no, we're not allowed uh, any Beryl Reed. Beryl Ridiculous. Reed's magnificent. A but guy this... told me a tale. Do you remember that tale? Sorry to interrupt. And, and, uh, just this one tale. And he told, because I actually put it on Facebook a while back. Why, oh, why, oh, why isn't there a documentary on Beryl Reed? with the aim that these people who make these damn things see it as well. And then this guy put this story underneath about how when he was delivering sofas in the early 80s, he brought a sofa to Beryl Reed's sort of like bell-sized park flat, you know? And he comes around, she's there in the basement. He says it was like 10 in the morning, massive, big, chunky crystal glass of G and say, just put it where you like. And it was just this great story of Beryl Reed, arsehole, at like half nine in the morning, 10 o'clock, wherever it was, just having a sub. And now me, right, I'm afraid Mm. it would have been everything else in the day is going to be late. Yes. As I'm going to I'm going to see if I can sit in here and have a bit of a gas with this old girl. Absolutely. You would oh have had to when you have seen that woman. minder that she does. Uh, no, her and Bill Maynard. No. Her and Bill Maynard are a couple. She's a she's um she writes thrillers and she comes back to the country she's a tax exile. And uh, he turns up Bill Maynard and he's got like a wig in it and and he's brill. And they play this couple in it who haven't seen each other for 20 years and it is just, you know, to watch people like that work, it's just... It's beautiful. And um, for me, the most lovely thing recently was uh, when they did the um, the Doctor Who Blu-ray set of season 19. And, of course, Beryl Reed guest stars um, in an yeah. interest, interesting decision by John yeah, Nathan Turner. You know what? I'm, I'm all right with that. I think she pulls I love that it. off. I, I think really she does. Do. But you watch her during, with the studio footage. She doesn't know what's going on. She's just no. sat there. And at one point, uh, she just turns to the director. And says, we all right, Beryl? She says, oh, I'm fed up, darling. I've been sat here for ages. <laughs> Nobody will tell me what's going on. I don't know what's going on at all. And then they come to the script. And she sort of learned it in that old school way of, I know it around the edges. But yeah. of course, they want precision from her. And you've got moments where people are just trying, just saying the line, and she's saying it back, trying to get it in her head. And she's saying scientific garbage. So, of course, the inflection's all wrong. And it's, but it's lovely. And that bit of stunt casting, and it was a bit of stunt casting. Oh, I totally. think it works, works beautifully. She's probably looking for Mooncat, wasn't she? I loved Mooncat. I loved Mooncat, too. Get we all go. loved it. 
Oh, wonderful stuff. So um, they were my nice things. Apart from, apart from, I did get a bit of John Nathan Turner. Ah, um, yes, I want to see that. I mean, what do you yeah. make of that? Right, so what this is, if anyone's interested in how telly used to be made, um, an interview was done with John Nathan Turner, who was the producer of Doctor Who from 1980 through to it finished in 89. Um, a fairly controversial figure, as we all know now. Um, I, I might tell you about that in a moment. Um, nah. But Yes, um, but what you've got here, there was an interview conducted with him, and he died just before DVDs became a thing. So there's a man who was made for DVD commentaries, and oh, never, mate. Yeah. never did him. Um, but there's one interview, and they use clips of him uh, from this interview for everything. And it's this not the is, one where he's sat in the cafe at Brighton. It's is the, it? He's sat in is the cafe. Is that it? Is that the yeah. other one? Right, yeah. Okay. That's the that's the full interview. The, um, but what you've got here is it's just the tapes. They've not been edited. So at one point you get this lovely moment where the cafe owner comes over and complains, are you going to be here all day? <laughs> and and Nathan, Turner's, Nathan Turner's looking at him like that and then goes, shall I speed up a bit? Um, it's just absolutely, absolutely God, you, yeah. lovely oh, stuff. It, so uh, you can buy that online. It's, quite, it's only a tenner. Uh, for the interview, uh, you've got to go to Bill Bags video. If you just Google Bill Bags and John Nathan Turner, and you'll get that. He sends them out quick. It's like two day turnaround, but it's it's lovely to watch. Uh, but then he tried to do something to me at a convention. Who Bill Bags? John Nathan Turner. You know he's got a bit. You know he's got a reputation these days. Well, so, yeah, I believe so. Go on then, if you want to uh, get the lawyers on standby. Let's. Um... I'm, I'm happy to say this. Um, so um, he and his partner, um, there's a chap called Gary, Gary Downey. I have the to... Doctor Who cookbook just oh, up there. Magnificent. Uh, um, they used to go to conventions, the two of them, and they would look for young fans who they thought were, uh, you know, a bit, a bit attractive. Chaps. Chaps, and they'd refer to them as doable barkers, which is uh, <laughs> what's wonderful. the barker bit? Uh, barking mad, like as fans, they perceive them as being barking mad, but they were right. doable. Um, one day I was at a convention, this is about 1993 or four in Manchester, and Gary and JNT were there. And at the end of it, I was arsehole, obviously, <laughs> rather drunk. And Gary wanders over and he just grabbed my hand rather forcefully palm up like that and he was stirring at my hand and he went you very interesting hands and I went have I? (laughs) Do you want to come uh, and meet John? John reads palms and I said with his penis yes and I I said oh yes please and he said oh he's in his bedroom come with me and he took me by the hand and started leading me luckily the person I was with a very good friend of mine kind of got a grasp of what was happening and just put a hand on my shoulder, turned me and pointed to the bar and went, Caroline John's over there. And I went, oh, okay, off we go, Caroline John. But uh, yeah, it would appear that uh, John Nathan Turner tried to read my palm. So that's my... That that was an escape there. Very narrow squeak. It could have been split from arsehole to ear, as they say in With Nail and I. You could. Why don't you? Um... (laughs) So the the last yeah. nice thing I suppose this week this month's uh, missing page oh lovely turned up with full color they've started mm. doing uh, this is the official newsletter of the Tony Hancock app sock 
should you be a Hancock fan? Um, you should be a Hancock fan. You should be a Hancock. You should join the AppSoc as well. Mm. Um, I think you might have missed this year's get together, mm. um, which um, this year was last year's was cancelled sadly with Julian oh. Dutton. I was looking forward to that. Um, and this year's is Robert Ross. Oh, you know Bob. Robert yeah. Ross. Yeah, Bob yeah. Ross. Um, so I don't know if that's happened yet or not. Um, but it's smashing. I I, I get this. Uh, I've been a member for a long time. Um, there's a little. Um, have we got it on the camera? Can you see that? Have there's a you? Little oh. bit for Damaris this month. Bless her. Damaris Heyman. Um, another another lovely old actress. We will not yeah. see their like again. They're not allowed. And and Irene Handel, when I was thinking oh. before. Uh, oh. oh, yeah, the reunion dinner. Here we go. They're going to show. Here's one for you, Paul. Mm. Uh, they're going to show the ATV episodes uh, at <gasps> the, uh, the reunion dinner. Um, oh. So the reunion dinner, um, you can still get tickets, I think. Maybe. Um, and this is the one with Robert... Um, ah, Saturday the 11th of September. There you go. Um, so you can still book. Uh, send them to Ros Dawson, R-O-S-D-A-W-S-O-N, at TonyHancock.org.uk. That'll be, that'll be a cracker. I might even go myself. Uh, though I, no I doubt we will be embroiled in work by then, dear. I would think so. But what it does tell us, of course, is therefore that uh, the agent we were talking about last week who wouldn't allow the ATV episodes to be screened must no longer be with us. Yes, yes. Roger must have... Pa- I think he did pass on, didn't he? A, I a think so, yeah. Well. Um, but yeah, so maybe that means that we're also possibly going to get a DVD release at long last. I've got so. the, the existing ones through nefarious sources I mean uh, you'll have the same six as me but the yeah. full the full series does exist oh does it right I didn't the know whole that. run exists is it 12 or 13 of them and they sure. all exist alright they aren't Galton and Simpson scripts they're not but it's still Hancock it's and, still Hancock and I don't care about that whole thing of, oh, he was past his best. We're all past our best. He was over 40. He's past his best. So, but you get, it's it's Hancock. And the opportunity to see new, new old Hancock, you should never yeah. turn that off. It's such a shame what happened to the bugger. I mean, it's one mm. of those stories. It's a trope that there's no point in even mentioning the story. Everyone knows it back to front and who's, mm. who knows their classic telly anyway. These mm. things, though, the missing page, the the, uh, the Hancock thing, now in full colour, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be, oh, there's the seagulls. The Steptoe and Son one, mm. I, I still have the card. The Steptoe and Son Appreciation Society, they used to do a lovely A5 thing. I've got them up there called, uh, it was called the Totting Times, and then it was the Rag and Bone. They were fantastic magazines. They really were. Galton and Simpson were alive for them. But mm. going right back to when I was a kid, I remember, and I've still got the letter over there in the bureau. Do you remember, um, did you ever write to Peter Rogers at no. Pinewood? I did. Because, uh, you know, uh, about yeah, the carry-ons. Are you making any more carry-ons, Mr. Rogers? <laughs> <laughs> so I got the standard, um, you know, reply back that's the letter that everyone got. Uh and um, but he he sent in the letter. Peter Rogers sent in the letter. He said you might want to get in touch with this guy who runs. Uh, and it was it was a thing that was a photocopied staple. I've still got them in the cupboard. Uh, mm. Stop messing about. It was called. And it was like a carry on fanzine. 
Oh. And it was a guy in uh, Orpington, Kent. I can't remember. Roger Deal, I think his name was. Or was it Dealing? I can't remember. I was I was but a boy. Um, but yes, um, uh, these things, getting these things in the post before the internet was just a joy. You know, it's like um, being in the uh, Dwas local group or something, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know, I've still got Except- my unwilling warriors things from when I was in the Chester Dwas group. Oh well, um, when I was when I was in the Merseyside local group, I went along. Oh, I, I think I went along for the first time. My my lovely poor old granddad took me along, and I think he thought it would be for an hour. Oh no, all day watching old episodes. Of Doctor <laughs> Who. And you, and you know what? God love him. He sat through it. I remember they showed the whole of Mask of Mandragora and stuff like that, and he sat through it. He must have been bored arseless. but he was particularly taken by the local group fanzine. Uh, that was uh, that they would have copies of and give to everyone as they came in, and they didn't give me a copy. And they gave my granddad a copy. They didn't give me one. I thought rude, but I'll have his later. <sighs> and it it turns out the reason they didn't give me one because I was about eleven. Uh, the reason they didn't give me one, but they gave my granddad one. And the reason he was then quite captivated and happy to sit there and just have a flick was because there was a two page special on uh, Doctor Who ladies who've got their tits out. <laughs> yes. Which I was like, I've still got that somewhere. Oh, I um, bet you have, dear. Yeah, well thumbed. Yeah, well thumbed. Laminated. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, well, it's been an interesting conversation. I'm quite tired after this one, actually. I'm quite tired after this one. I feel <laughs> that... Um, I, I, I pity uh, if you were going to put together a picture thread for this one. I don't think there's many oh, God. turns that have been left unstoned with our lap no, lock. No, I know. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm quite tired now. I think I may uh, I may retire early to bed with an improving book. I think so, yes. Yes, Not maybe the missing page. Yes, I'm going to I'm going to retire uh, with, with a film uh, by a director. Uh, with a film, Mike. Okay. Wow. It's only 88 minutes long. Right. And it was filmed on 16 millimeter film. Nice. So it's even shorter. Even shorter. And uh, but there's a reason behind this. But I'm going to I'm going to save that for next week. And we're going to I'm going Ooh. to have a little discussion about Very the director cheeky. who is this director is somebody who everybody should know, but not many people do. And that's because Ooh. Churchill didn't like him. Ooh. We'll talk about him next time. You interest me strangely, Holmes. I do try to. Well, until next time, have a lovely week, dear boy, and have Indeed. a lovely week, everybody listening and watching at home. And mm-hmm. until next week, bye bye. Bye bye. Presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog.